and the good life. And I want to start with a few questions. So why do we read? Uh, more importantly, maybe what are books for? Do you know what books are for? Um, how do they fit then into our vision of the good life? So if you're anything like me, then over the course of your life, you've probably been taught both implicitly and explicitly that books serve two basic purposes, right? They inform and they entertain. And typically, these two purposes, information and entertainment, are represented as very distinct. One teaches, the other gives pleasure. One appeals to intellect, the other to emotion. But as one of our guests, Professor Jamie Smith, has tirelessly argued, this stark separation of mind and body can obscure an important truth about who we are as humans. We're not, as Professor Smith likes to insist, brains on sticks. We are fully embodied creatures whose heads and hearts are designed to work together. So what does this mean for us as readers, and how should books factor in to a fully realized vision of what it means to be a person who's in pursuit of the good life? Maybe more specifically, how should we read the Bible in this pursuit? I mean, why is it that all these competing visions of the good life seem to overpower the one that we find in God's holy scriptures? This evening, I want to cast a vision, hopefully for how we can become better readers. And I'm going to do so by making a claim that I have found to be a little provocative in my experience as a literature professor at a seminary, all right? So here's the claim so that you won't miss it. You can't understand the Bible if you don't love poetry, okay? Um, one more time, just, you can't understand the Bible, all right, if you don't love poetry. It's one thing to imagine the scriptures as an instruction manual for living the good life, but it's quite another to live the good life because you love the scriptures. Most of us have, I think, an instruction manual view of the Bible. And I would actually argue that this attitude prevents us from understanding the book because it prevents us maybe from loving it. You have, an, you have a favorite instruction manual, like to sit back with your car's owner manual, right? Um, but understanding, as we'll see, entails a lot more than just the translation of ideas from the page to our brains. But how? How do we learn to love the scriptures? So I'm blessed to teach here, and each semester I encounter a fresh new group of students at our college at Southeastern. And because I teach literature, I have the great privilege of studying poetry with them. And these are bright people, many of whom have been raised in the church. They've been listening to sermons and Sunday school lessons for years. Many have attended Christian camps and conferences and worship events. My students are not usually novice Bible readers. And yet there tends to be a disconnect between the reading of the Bible and like everything else in their lives. So when we come to our first poet in the survey of American literature, I routinely hear the same kinds of questions and laments, right? What is the author trying to say? Why doesn't she just say what she means? It's like they're trying to make it confusing on purpose. Why don't they just come out and say it? And classic, I just don't get poetry, right? So in short, uh, they, and I think like all of us, they hate poetry, all right? Um, and they're not alone. The poet and novelist Ben Lerner just wrote a book called The Hatred of Poetry. Uh, Marianne Moore wrote a famous poem about poetry that begins with the line, I too dislike it. All right, so uh, everyone seems to hate poetry, even the poets. And the hatred of poetry, though, presents a serious problem for Christians who want to pursue the good life. After all, the most direct revelation of the good life we have is the Bible. And as it turns out, like one third of the Bible is poetry. So um, if we hate poetry, 
then it follows that we might actually hate a significant portion of the Bible. And that's not even the worst part. It's that you probably don't even realize that you hate the Bible because you think of it so thoroughly as an instruction manual that the arrangement of some of the words into poems probably doesn't even register. Right? So in other words, you might hate the Bible and not really even know it. And now maybe you're freaking out a little bit, I am. So you, you, you might even think that loving poetry and thus the Bible would require some kind of special training or higher education. As one poet, Matt Zapruder, observes, poetry has an unfortunate reputation for requiring special training and education to appreciate, which makes most of us feel unnecessarily as if we haven't studied enough to read it. So it would seem that maybe only elite scholars could really appreciate the poetry of the Bible then. But according to a well-known Bible scholar, biblical scholars rarely fall into the category of people who love poetry. So rest assured, you don't need a PhD to learn to love the scriptures. In fact, it might very well make things worse. Uh, so I'm going to turn now to an example that I hope will offer a few concrete practices that with time can change your attitude and mind toward poetry, maybe shape our love for reading the scriptures. So I'm going to use an example. Uh, Psalm 119.24 is one of my favorite verses. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Now, the plain sense of the verse is not difficult to understand, even though it uses poetic language of metaphor. It asks us to imagine God's statutes as like a group of counselors. So metaphors, they just make unfamiliar things familiar. They just make abstract things a little more concrete. And God's statutes, that might seem kind of abstract. And so the psalmist uses the metaphor of counselors to help us to imagine our relationship to his word, right? Counselors tend to be wise, experienced, honest, maybe interested in our well-being. So a ruler might seek the advice of counselors when facing a tough decision for which he or he will bear the responsibility. Counselors can tell you when things are wrong, but they can also tell you when things are going well. They can advise and they can encourage. So the interpretation of the verse is pretty straightforward then. I would go to a counselor if I was in need of counsel, God's word is my counselor. I should go to his word when I need counsel. Nailed it. Um, But that's a little bit of an instruction manual view of what the book is for. And again, I have to ask, I mean, do you have a favorite instruction manual that you just love? Right? So you might feel like get to that moment, it's like nailed it. And, all right, and so now you're thinking, all right, so Mullins is going to tell us uh, like why that was wrong and what the real secret deeper meaning was. Right? No, 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 that's not it at all. Of course, that's what the verse means, or at least that's a part of what the verse means, that we should turn to God's word for counsel. But that's not the entirety of the meaning because the meaning is not reducible to that message, that propositional assertion. There is more to the meaning of Psalm 119.24 than that intellectual truth. So let me try to illustrate. This verse became a favorite of mine. I was facing a really difficult trial um, and I didn't know what to do in, in my life and I was unsure how to handle it. And I'm fortunate here to be surrounded by older, wiser colleagues at Southeastern, experienced teachers and scholars who have run into every problem I'll ever face and more. And so in the face of that difficult trial where I didn't know how to respond, I thought to myself one morning during my devotion, reading Psalm 119, I'll go see Dr. Hammett. That's what I'll do. He'll know what to do. And so I can't quite express the relief and assurance and even the confidence that flooded my heart just when I thought, oh, I'll go see Dr. Hammett. In fact, my whole point is that only a good poem could make you feel it too, right? Uh, But I felt so much better about the difficult situation, even though it wasn't even over yet. 
So I set up a time to meet with him, and sure enough, he prayed for me. He gave me wise counsel that ultimately helped to resolve this problem peacefully. So in the same way Dr. Hammond embodied wisdom for me, the poetry of the Bible embodies God's decrees. So now I want to sit down with the scriptures like I sat down with Dr. Hammond. That delight of relief and assurance is why the psalmist wrote a poem rather than simply saying, you should read God's statutes when you need counsel. And he wrote a poem. He didn't just command us to do that. The poetic form of the passage is designed to enact an emotion in us as it instructs us. And here's the key right here, right? To feel the relief and assurance of delighting in God's words as counselors, that's what it means to understand that verse, right? To feel that feeling is what it means to understand Psalm 119.24. If you feel the emotion, you understand the verse. If it does not evoke an emotion, your understanding is incomplete. In other words, if you don't long for it, if you don't love it, you don't understand it. You should want to read the Bible not only to learn information about who God is, but also to experience in the reading his love, to feel his fatherly strength, comfort, reproof, and protection. And God's love can seem very abstract, like his statutes. After all, I know what it means to love and be loved by my parents, thank goodness, by my wife, by my children, by my friends and colleagues. But what does it mean to love and be loved by God? It's a very difficult question to answer with propositional truths. No offense to the philosophers, right? Um, Thankfully, the Bible contains much more than propositional truths. It includes stories, parables, and poems designed to appeal to the whole of our beings and not just our minds. You ever listen to a sad song because you were sad? Or to a happy song so that you get your arm out the window, you know, doing this thing, right? Well, that's what music's for. When you're sad, you want to listen to a sad song. Stop telling me to cheer up. I just want to be sad for a minute, right? That's what music's for, and that's what, the poem, that's what poems are for. So let me ask, when you need counsel, comfort, wisdom, correction, inspiration, relief, reproof, a vision of the good life, Do you instinctively turn to the Bible? Does your heart incline your head to his word? Do you love the scriptures? If you don't love them, it might be because you're confusing a part for the whole. It might be because you've been taught to read everything as if it were the same kind of thing as Romans 1. So what what should you do? How can you experience the fullness of Psalm 119.24? So here's a practical suggestion. It's, it's, It's really simple. Look, poems are more like paintings than like prose, okay? So stand in front of them like you would stand in front of Van Gogh's The Starry Night, you know, the swirly, twirly, right? Ironically, what we enjoy most about poetry in the Bible is that we see all the empty space on the page and think, yes, I'm going to fly through this, right? Uh, But (laughs) why are you in such a hurry? Do you have to finish reading the Bible by a certain day? I mean, for class, yes, do what, right? But for your life by a certain day, maybe by the time you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, Imagine the poem, imagine Psalm 23, Psalm 119, 24 is hanging on a wall somewhere and you can see the whole thing at once. Read it again. If it were a painting, certain features would just stand out to you like the crazy ominous cypress tree at the front of that Van Gogh painting. So what stands out in the poem? Don't ask what it means, okay, just for a minute. There are plenty of passages in the Bible for which that is a super viable first question. What's different about poems is that they open things up rather than tying things up. They create an experience. Your part is to get in the right position to have that experience. So take your time. Stand in front of them. Read it again. 
This move towards deeper experience is especially well-suited to the poetry of the Bible, which is more often than not designed to encourage meditation on our love and need for God. So just take what the text has to offer. Learn to love the scriptures. Thanks. Thanks.